before Cheryl reads, you can come on up, Cheryl. Um, I just want to set the stage for the book of Ephesians, this letter. Uh, if, if we were to, to expand this a little bit, we would spend some time reading Acts chapter 19 as well, which is where Paul, uh, the story of Paul engaging with the people of Ephesus uh, really unfolds. And we find out there that he spent about two and a half years in the city of Ephesus, one of the longest places he stopped at on his missionary journey. And in fact, if you read the whole book of Acts, you hear that as, as Paul's heading back to Jerusalem for the last time, knowing that he will be, uh, he will be uh, arrested there and, and probably sent on, to Jeruz- or sent on to Rome as a prisoner, uh, there's an interaction where the uh, Paul says, send to the elders in Ephesus, have them come meet me. And they, they actually leave the city of Ephesus and journey down to the port where Paul's at to meet him and pray with him before he goes. There is such a deep affection between the people of Ephesus and, and Paul. And, and in the background of this letter, we're hearing that affection come out, a, a deep affection, a very intimate relationship, in many ways, Uh, dissimilar from what Paul has with all the other letters he writes. He is very close to the people of Ephesus. The other thing we need to to recognize in this story is that Ephesus was the city um, where there was was a a really strong uh, um, worship of one of the Greek gods, Artemis. Uh, and there is legend in that city that Artemis's statue, a, a statue of her head, had fallen to the earth uh, from Mount Olympus and landed in Ephesus. Uh, and, and so there was a whole industry built up around this spirituality, um, all sorts of occultic practices. Uh, when you read the story in Acts 19, you hear that one of the results of Paul being there for two plus years was that many of the people who were practicing sorcery and witchcraft came and burned their scrolls as a result of coming to Christ. And and they burned those scrolls, and it talks about something like 50,000 drachmas, like years and years worth of of, uh, financial uh, resources had been poured into purchasing these scrolls. And they simply burned them up and said, "We're, we're done with this way of life. And as a result of that, Uh, some of the people who were into making the idols rebelled uh, and they they started a whole riot in the city of Ephesus. So behind this letter, there's also a a culture that Paul's writing to that is steeped in spirituality, a hunger for knowing what's happening beyond the physical realm, but it's also steeped in idolatry. Uh, very much we're going to find a way to manipulate the spiritual forces and we're going to find a way to control spiritual powers. And so as we read through Ephesians over the next six weeks where we'll do the first three chapters and then in January we'll come back and do the last uh, three chapters, we're going to hear this theme of powers and principalities. We're also going to hear a lot about the Holy Spirit who, who pops up all the way through this letter we'll pick up things about what it means to be the church and and about prayer, which also make their way all the way through this letter. So those themes are all in here. And and today's reading, what Cheryl will read in just a moment, these first 14 verses are kind of setting the stage for the rest of the letter. So they're, they're not our typical, well, here's who God is, now go and do that. The go and do that comes later in this story. 
but it's really setting the stage for what Paul's going to do in the rest of the letter. So this reading can be found in our Pew Bibles on page 1817, and I am beginning to read at the start of the letter, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Let's pray. God, would you grant that our ears are open to hear your word, and we pray that our hearts might be might be set on you and that your word through Paul's letter will help us to find the way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. And, and to help further kind of set the context for where we're headed in the, in the message this morning, we're going to read responsively two questions and answers out of the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'll read the question if you would read the response. But why are you called a Christian?
Why is he called God's only begotten son when we also are God's children? Paul does something incredible in this passage for a context where, where people are always striving to figure out how they can control the gods, how they can earn the gods' favor, or, or at least in some way get the gods to bless them. Paul starts off by talking about God's will. We brush over it all the time. In fact, one of my seminary pres- professors wrote a whole book on, on the neglected beginnings and endings of Paul's letters. We brush over those greetings right away, and we just kind of, yeah, Paul's greeting the people in Ephesus, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the real meat of the letter. And, and, and yet, there's something in the beginning of this that's so important. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and, and it's, it's saying that God's actually the one who's active in the world. Paul's declaring to a, a group of people who have who've assumed that the gods are distant and the gods have to somehow be reached and we have to go get them. Paul flips it around and says, actually I'm here because of Jesus Christ, because of the will of God. God's will is still happening right here, right in front of you in the flesh. God is active. Paul's not claiming he's God, but Paul is claiming that because of God and because of what God is active doing in the world, Paul's able to write this letter. He's able to live and move and have his being, as he says in in the book of Acts. He's, He's speaking to the people as one who is representing God who is at work in the world. This was a a, a shocking revelation. It it was counterintuitive to the whole way the culture of Ephesus was set up. Rather than saying God was at work in the world, they were saying we are at work in the world and, and we need somehow to get the God's attention to come and work for us. We need to do something to grab the God's attention first before they'll do anything on our behalf. Paul says no the very beginning of what's happening here and the very beginning of what I'm going to talk about is that God is at work right here, right now, today. How many of us need to hear that word? I mean, really, just for a moment, how many of us need to hear that word? I tell you, I I read the scriptures and and I I read of the miracles that happen in scripture and I read of how God moved powerfully among the people and how he spoke face to face to Moses and and he talked with Elijah and Elisha and and, Lord, move in our day. I I just want to hear your voice. I want to see you. I want to know you are real. We want that presence of God that moving of God in our life. And sometimes we get in those spaces where it's not God's presence we feel. It's God's absence. We find ourselves grappling to to put something in our lives that will give us some comfort, some 
assurance. I mean, all the way back to, to St. Augustine, he at one point starts talking about a, a God-shaped hole in each of us. That all of us live life in a way that we're, we're trying to constantly fill that hole inside of us to, to say, where is God and, and how can I get that feeling of security that comes with, with being in God's presence and knowing God and, and we all sorts of stuff into that hole to try and fill it. And, and again and again, we come short. We are like the people of Ephesus. We may not be turning the witchcraft and idolatry and mediums and sorcery to fill that hole, but we certainly turn to all sorts of other things to fill that hole. We live with a pervasive fear. Maybe it's not all-encompassing, but we live with a fear that maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe God's overlooked me. Maybe God's not hearing me. Maybe God's not with me. Maybe God just doesn't care. Paul's word to the Ephesians is that it's God's will to be present in our lives and engaged with us. And Paul wants to start by saying in the beginning of this letter, God is the primary actor in the world. He is far from being absent or hidden or disguised. God has made himself known in Jesus Christ and he is here with us. He is still at work in our lives right here, right now, right in our very circumstances where we feel the absence. Paul's word is God is present and it's God's will that he's going to continue speaking to us and continue making himself known we enter into this journey through the letter of Ephesians we are entering into a space where we are called and and in some sense we are brought to the point of a crossroads of whether or not we will accept this first word That in the midst of feeling God's absence, God's word to us is, I'm still with you, and I am still working in your life and in this world. You may not see it, you may not understand it, but trust me, I am at work. It's a word of comfort. It's a word of assurance. And as we work our way through the passage this morning, Paul ends up back at that word of assurance. But it's not, it's not just enough for us to know in some abstract sense that God is at work in the world. And what Paul begins to do is he starts from this place of God's will is that he is at work to start unfolding the ways God is at work. And the ways Paul chooses to do that are through words like, like lavish and riches, and adoption to sonship, and God's mercy, and there's this overflowing, freely given God's love being poured out. Now, some of you may be astute enough to know that, notice that the baptismal font's up here, and we didn't do a baptism this morning. And you may be wondering, Pastor Chris, what are you doing? This This language here that Paul's using in in the start of Ephesians chapter 1 is really baptismal language. It is the baptismal language of the church. It's not the dying and rising 
that we normally talk about. But it is, praise God, who has freely given us his grace. Praise God, who has poured out on us the love of Jesus Christ. Praise God, who has lavished on us. And then that curious phrase, who has adopted us to sonship. Adopted us to sonship. That's all baptismal language. That's all being rooted in this space, in this water, in that rhythm of dying with Christ and rising with him. I want want to focus just on the phrase adopted to sonship for a moment. You may notice that, that sometimes the, the translation of the NIV that I read is a little bit different than the translation in the pew. It's 1984 editions in our pews, the 2011 editions, what I'm working off of. And part of what they've done in that updating is, is updating the language so that, so that the, the places where Scripture refers to in the Greek literally men or humanity being all mankind, they've updated that language to be more gender inclusive, in part because that's what was intended in the original Greek word. But in this phrase, adoption to sonship, they didn't say adoption to childhood or just adopted. They kept that phrase adopted to sonship because in the, in the time Paul's writing, that was a legal term. It was a legal definition of what's happening uh, when somebody who, who was a, a, in charge of a household, usually a man, but not always, usually a man who was in charge of the household and he was creating his will, he would designate people to be adopted into his family, adopted to sonship. It is not always just their biological children. In fact, it could be people who worked in their household or worked for them in some capacity, and they could say something like this, oh, and you've been working for my family for a long time. You are really considered family, and I'm in fact writing in my will that you are now to be treated just as one of my children. All the rights, all the privileges of my children, they're yours, okay? That, that's what this legal statement did. It brought in people who were not biologically part of the family and it made them part of the family with all the rights and privileges. In fact, there are occasions written down where some people who were not biologically part of the family received the full inheritance of the person who was dying. You are wrapped into the family. It is a title. It is a recognition that everything that belonged to God is now ours. Everything that is God's, God in Jesus Christ wrote our names in that book of life, as it's said later on, but wrote our names into his family. And he said, as a free act of mine, under no obligation, no one is forcing me to do this, I am choosing to make you part of my family with all the rights and privileges Think about that in the context of Ephesus. These people who have been spending all of their resources, they, it's kind of like they get their paycheck and they run over to the local store to get the next scroll. Maybe this scroll will work. And they come back home and they mix up the incantation and they read the scroll and they 
try to manipulate the gods or they say, oh, I, I got to go make this sacrifice in order to make sure that, that Artemis is happy with me this week and that she'll protect me and my family. And so I, I've got to come up with... And, and all these efforts, all these running around, trying to appease the gods. And in the midst of it, Paul says, no, actually the good news is God's at work in the world and he's giving you all the rights and privileges of being in his family without you doing a thing. You have been adopted to sonship in God's family. You are part of God's family before you've done anything and without any obligation, you are now there. I mean, we pick up usually in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace we have been saved through faith, and it's not our works, but we're saved purely by God's goodness. We love that passage to talk about God's grace, and it is true, it is good, but I think as I'm reading this letter, that this phrase, adoption to sonship, is a more profound sense of grace than we've yet been able to articulate. God on his own initiative, said, I want you in my family. How radically does that reorient our understanding of God? Those of us who have spent our lifetime trying to please God, and there are some of us who grew up in families where you did not take communion because it was too presumptuous on God's grace. Who am I that I could come before God? I've got too much sin and too much brokenness in my life. I've done too many things wrong to approach him. We've experienced that culturally. Some of us come here with so much sin in our lives or having had so much sin done to us that we are afraid to come before God and receive his grace. And God says, none of that matters. Not what you have done, not what is done to you, I choose you, and I adopt you into my family. You belong to me. And it undercuts all our works, all our efforts at righteousness. It steps into those spaces where we feel so unworthy and so disconnected, and it says, I still choose you. God's word is a profound, incredible word of grace that reveals his character not as a wrathful, vengeful God like the other gods in Ephesus. Not as a God who is waiting for us to do something significant to show that we're worthy, but a God who acts on our behalf on his own initiative to say, I want you. Right now, right here, right where you're at. All the brokenness that's been done to you and all the brokenness you have done besides I choose you and I lavish upon you my love. So this morning, even though we're not baptizing another person, we're not baptizing an adult who's come to Christ or a child who's been born into the family, this water's for us. This baptismal water being poured out makes a mess of the way we've constructed the world. It makes a mess of how we've viewed God. And it says this life, this baptismal life of being freely wrapped into God's love is truly for us. If 
we're going to understand the rest of Ephesians. We need to understand that God is at work and that God's character is revealed in his desire to adopt us to sonship, to make us part of his family without us doing anything and despite everything that we've done or has been done to us. The last piece that we're going to hit this morning is why? Why would God do such a radical thing? Why would he take us while we're in our sin and our brokenness? Why would he, why would he welcome us in when, when so much has been done to us and we've done so much wrong that just seems to violate everything about who God is? Why? We get this, this word. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Back to God's will, God being at work. According to his good pleasure, not because we've earned it, not because we've manipulated or done the right series of confessions or offerings, but because of his will, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All things. Unity of all all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's will is not just to engage the physical world and make us feel comfortable about how we live today. God's objective is not just a a personal salvation where we have a sense and an assurance that one day we'll go to heaven and be with God. God's will is to enter into those very spiritual realms that have haunted and taunted God's people, God's creation, and to step in there and to bring about a unity that's rooted in Christ. To eliminate those things that which oppose God and to do so in a way which draws all things together in Christ. In heaven, in the spiritual realms, in the things we don't understand, in the way the spiritual forces are at work, those powers and principalities that even they all spiritual realms would be united in Christ. And for us, who live in this physical realm with a spiritual heart who longs for God and to know God, created in this odd mixture of flesh and spirit, that even we would be wrapped into that unity with God and all that God has made. And what's going to unfold in the coming weeks is, so what's happening How are we going to experience this unity? How's this unity going to come about? How how is God going to make this happen? The short word is, in Christ. We're going to hear that phrase pop up again and again. In Christ. But it is powerful that what God is doing and what God is doing in adopting us to sonship and wrapping us in his family is part of the way God is at work and bringing unity under Christ in all things, in heaven, those things we can't see and can't understand yet, and on earth, those things that are so tangible and right in front of us. God is at work. God is at work bringing unity in Christ. 
So we hear this assurance, God is at work. We feel this experience of God saying to you, I love you even though you feel you are unlovable. You are mine. You are part of my family. And because of all that, I'm wrapping you into this story of what I am doing to make all things unified in Christ. He says, but I want to give you an assurance while this happens. And that assurance is this. The Holy Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. In the Reformed tradition, and I sometimes get accused of this by one of my professors, we believe more in the binity than the trinity. We like the Father, we like the Son, and we're kind of scared of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given not to scare us, but as a deep-rooted assurance that even right now, God is at work. Even right now, we are wrapped into God's family. Even right now, God is making all things unified in heaven and on earth. So as we go through this series, the Spirit is going to come up. And we're going to pray that we would not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, but that we would receive the Spirit as the assurance that God intends Him to be. Let's pray. Your word is so, so rich. And you give us such comfort in it. If only, if only we can hear it and believe it. Help us to believe that you have wrapped us into your family, that you have marked us with these baptismal waters and with your Holy Spirit, that we truly have been adopted to sonship in Jesus Christ. Help us to believe you love us you desire us that we may hear this good word that you are still at work in the world and you are making all things unified in Christ Holy Spirit we confess we're sometimes scared of you and and honestly we're scared of being accepted so freely by God help us help us to trust you and to believe this good word Christ, we pray. Amen. Response. I invite us to stand and sing together number 608, Salvation Belongs to Our God. And you can stand with me while we wait for the musicians. It's okay. Okay.